So again, Genesis 4, 1 through 16, and then verses 25 and 26. Let's give our attention to God's word. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And then skipping down to verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, uh, but the the word of God stands forever. So let's pray before we uh, consider it further. Heavenly Father, we need... We need you to be at work. Uh, we, if you're not here by your Holy Spirit, then nothing good is going to happen tonight. We have to admit that of ourselves, and we have to ask you for help. But we know you, uh, as you've revealed yourself, to be a gracious God who speaks. And so we pray that you would open up this passage to us, that you would illuminate it, that our hearts would be changed, that we might come to know you um, in your grace and your mercy, ultimately in Jesus Christ. And we pray that tonight in his name. Amen. All right, so you know that I usually like to begin with uh, some sort of really engaging illustration. And usually that process starts by I put on the top of my papers, I'm working on notes and trying to organize a sermon. I put I-L-L-U-S, short for illustration, and put a dash and I put a question mark. And, you know, I'm going to fill that in later at some point. Unless you don't, right? And so this week, I I just don't have a good illustration. And so I feel like I should tell you that. But I think it's still going to work. So this semester, 
we've been studying through uh, the first part of the first book of the Bible, right? We're studying through Genesis. And every week we've said that Genesis is like, it's kind of like season one of all of life, right? That if you want to, um, if you want to jump in and start watching a television show that's airing currently, that if you jump in in the middle, it's, it's going to be a little hard to follow what's going on. You're going to have a lot of questions. And the, probably the best thing you can do is what? Go back and watch season one. You start at the beginning, right? And like we've said, Genesis is essentially that for life. That as you and I want to understand our lives, understand ourselves, understand God and the world around us, what better place to go than back to the beginning, where we're introduced, in a sense, to everything, the main themes of life, who God is and who man is. And so that's what we're doing every week. And last, the last couple of weeks, we've taken, uh, we've taken our time to look at, at really the, the concept or the doctrine of sin, right? How mankind has fallen, how we've uh, rejected and now naturally continue to reject God, um, and what God has done to fix that. And we've seen how it affects us, um, you know, even, even still, uh, why the world is the way it is. And we've, as I started to look at this passage and started to begin to, you know, try to get at, all right, what, what's the main point in this passage that we're going to talk about? Uh, one of the things that I kept coming to was that it, it really just seems like this is, this is sort of like a case study of, what we, of everything that we've just said about sin, right? Everything that we've seen played out uh, in Genesis uh, 2 and 3, or Genesis 3, about sin, that really this just seems like a, a case study of it. And so are we going to be saying sort of the same things again, plowing the same ground? And so as I thought about why is this story here, though, which is a good question to ask, right, of, of any passage. Why is this passage here? Why did God give us this passage it began to dawn on me that, yes, this is a story about sin and its effects, right? That's going to be very clear. But it's more than that, right? Even though th- this isn't the first story about sin in the Bible, but it is the first story. It's the story of the first person that sins and then rejects God's grace. If you remember from last week, we talked about how God said he was going to put enmity between the seed of the serpent, right? Uh, people that are going to follow in the ways of, of evil and reject God. And between those people and between the seed of the woman, right? Those that are going to uh, follow God in faith. And that essentially they're going to be these, these two lines of people, right, throughout history. And what we see here in this passage, what I want you to see tonight, what we're going to take a few minutes to look at, is that we're, this is the first glimpse of what it looks like to be the seed of the serpent. That's what we see here. Well, we're going to essentially get to take a look at it, kind of, kind of zone in on it, um, and see what's the difference between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And we're going to look at that basically in, in two main headings, two points. Uh, first, we're going to look at Cain's pride, and then secondly, we'll look at God's grace. So first, Cain's pride. What's that all about? Look, the first thing, as we dig into this story, the first thing that I think we need to do is probably uh, get rid of, especially if you've grown up in church, probably need to get rid of the the, um, mental image that you have of Cain and what he looks like and kind of who he is. 
Because if you grew up in church, you probably heard the story a ton of times, and you probably have this picture, and maybe even like literally seen pictures, of Cain as this sort of obviously, overtly evil dude, right? You know, this sort of menacing, uh, just frightening-looking guy. You know, if he, if he were in a different era, you know, he might, like, have a leather jacket and a switchblade and be smoking a cigarette, right? The kind of guy that your mom would not want you to hang out with, right? Like, he, that, that's Cain, right? And while, yes, right, his actions prove him to be very evil... What I want you to see, what I want to suggest to you, is that that's actually not a good picture of him. In fact, it's probably really the exact opposite of that picture that we tend to have of him. All right, so why do I say that? All right, so think about where we are in the Genesis story. Think about what's just happened. Remember, God had just promised, we ended last week by saying, right, sin has come into the world, and yet God promises to send a hero, right? He's going to send through, through Eve, right, the mother of, of, uh, of, the li- of all living, right, life giver. He's going to send a hero, somebody that's going, to, that's going to come up and defeat Satan, right, crush the head of the serpent. And the next thing that we see after that is what we read here, that Eve gets pregnant and is having a baby. And so it seems, you know, we can't say for sure, but it's probably pretty likely that she's thinking... And Adam, Adam and Eve are thinking, this is the one. God makes a promise. I'm going to give you a child that will be the hero. That's going to put it all back to right. And so, I mean, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think, here it is, right? Here's the child that's going to, that's going to make everything right. Uh, we get some evidence of it in the text. She says that, she's got, that with God's help, she has gotten a man, not a child, though he was a child, right? But she refers to him as a man. She names him Cain, which means something like, the created one, or the formed one, right? It seems to have this sense of, of, God, of God carefully crafting this, this amazing human, right? He's the created one. Um, and you can contrast that, in a sense, with Abel, with his brother. Some people actually even think, like Calvin, even think that they were twins, which very well might have been, doesn't really matter. But Abel, his name, uh, means something along the lines of, of uh, fleeting, insignificant. It's the word for, um, like, water vapor, right? In Ecclesiastes, the, uh, what is it, um, the mean, uh, vanity, right? It's the same word. It's, it's like mist, right? It's just, there's nothing to it. So it's like if she were introducing her kids, right? Let me introduce to you, right, we have the created one, and his brother, Misty. <laughs> Don't worry about him. He's no big deal. Right? Look at this one. He's the one. He's the firstborn. He's the favorite. He's the hope for humanity. He's the one, he's the one they're pinning their hopes on, it, it, it would seem. He's special. And you can probably even see some distinction in their occupations, though. I don't know this necessarily clear, but uh, Cain is the, the worker of the ground, whereas the, um, Abel is the, uh, the, a shepherd. And right, shepherd throughout the Bible seem to um, be sort of the uh, w- not worldly special, right? Now, in God's economy, they very much are. But. So, and, all right, so in addition, you see that Cain worships God like he should, Right? So I'm trying to change our mental perception of who Cain is. He's the favored one. He's the one that's all turning up roses for. And you even see that he worships God like he should. He brings, grant, he brings offerings from his hard work. 
But then something happens. Right? He brings his offering, and Abel brings his, and God accepts Abel's, but he rejects Cain's. And I want you to notice what Cain's reaction is. What is it? He's angry. He's furious about the fact that his offering to God got rejected, whereas Abel's was, was accepted. He gets angry and his face falls. And now that might seem like a fair thing, like, all right, I mean, what's the big deal about that? But take a second to think about why did he get angry? Why that emotion? Because you see, that's even what God is trying to get Cain to think, right? Cain, why are you angry? He's not just asking, not a rhetorical question. He wants him to actually think about it. So why would he be angry, right? He's not sad, he's not hurt, he's not confused. And I think it's this, the only reason that he would be angry is if he feels like he deserves something different, right? Think about if you take a test and it's one of those you didn't have time to study for it, you hadn't been doing really, you know, not really grasping the concepts in this class, you don't have time to study for the test, you take it, you know you do bad on it, and you get an F on it, right? When you get that back, you're getting back, you know, the teacher's saying, you know, in a sense, sorry, got to reject this, didn't, you know, this doesn't cut it, right? Are you mad about that? Probably not. Not at the teacher, Right? But if you take the same test and you do feel like you know it and you do really well on it, you feel like, and then you get back an F, are you going to be mad? Of course you're going to be mad. Why? Because you feel like you deserve differently. You earned that. They can't just come along and say that it's not good enough. And yet that, that I think, gets at the heart of why Cain is angry. That's what's going on. He's furious Because he feels like he knows that what he's brought to God should be accepted. It probably had always been that way in his life. Right? He's the favored one. He's the big strong one. He's the one out working in the field. And yet God rejects it. And he accepts Abel's. So that begs the question of what's going on with God accepting Abel's and rejecting Cain's. Why does he do that? You know, some people say, well, it's the, uh, it's the kind of offering they brought, right? One had blood, uh, the animals, and one did not. Um, some, you know, there, there are all kinds of different things you could look at, but the answer is really fairly simple. And it's really what we've been driving at the whole time about Cain. That the problem's not with the offering, but it's with, it's with him. Right? It says, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. It has something to do with, their, with, their, with them. And thankfully, the New Testament just comes out and tells us, which is always nice. Hebrews 11.4 says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. So very simply, Abel came to God with a posture of faith. And Cain didn't. And now look, you might be thinking like, well, right, that's so strange, right? How, how could Cain not have faith? He, he had conversations with God, right? How could he not believe in God? And well, certainly it, it doesn't mean, right, that he did not believe that he existed. Um, because obviously he did. But at the very least, 
we can see that Cain came to God with a sense of expecting to be blessed. That he deserved it, right? If we were to put it in our terms, we could say this, that Cain Cain came in his self-righteousness. He believed God should bless him because of who he was and the things he did. All right, so what does that mean for us? And I'm guessing that you can probably tend to see where this is going, but... Keep in mind, Cain probably looked like a great guy. He had it all together. He was the one that other people are wanting their kids to grow up and be like, right? And yet, even though he seemed to be doing the right things and have things together, he was way off. And so I think especially at a place like Baylor, right? Especially at a place like Baylor, you have to begin to see... That right where there's so much religious activity, where where doing the right thing is really valued, um, that that it's so easy for our hearts to begin to take pride in those things, and to begin to think to begin to think that God does owe us because of who we are, right? Um, because of what you've done or what you haven't done. Um, I think you could think about it like this. Cain went to church. He went to Bible study. He read his Bible. He had his quiet time, right? Um, he, he, he didn't drink and sleep around. Um, he had a, an accountability group. He was nice to people. He gave money to church. He did all that stuff, and he didn't do the bad things. And yet it wasn't worth anything. Right? So what it means is that Christian activity can't be the difference between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Christian activity, right, doing good things and stopping bad things, can't be the difference between those that are accepted by God and those that are not. And we're going to dig in on that in just a minute, but first I want to to ask a couple of of sort of diagnostic questions. How do you know if you're self-righteous? How would you begin to get at that? I think there are two good indicators in this passage. And it's these. That number one, you'll be angry with God and you'll hate people. First, self-righteous people are going to be angry with God. Why? Because God doesn't respond the way you think he should. If if you're self-righteous, you're going to be frustrated with God on some level and be, be angry with him maybe because he's not coming through on his end of the deal, you think. Right, you're, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Right? I, I don't hook up with random people and I don't do these things and I actually am serving the poor and I'm working hard in school and I'm making my parents happy and you know, I'm doing those things and yet, and yet that guy's got a girlfriend and I don't. That guy's making good grades and, and, and I'm not. Fill in the blank, Right? And so it's easy, I think, it's a good indicator of where your heart is. If you're angry with God because he's not coming in, uh, holding up his end of the bargain on what you feel like you deserve. Second, if you're self-righteous, you're going to hate people. Um, Again, we get more help from the New Testament on why Cain killed Abel. 1 John 3.12 says this, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous, right? So John just tells you right there. 
a big part of why he murdered his brother was because he was competition, to put it pretty bluntly, right? Because God thought, or, or rather, he looked at he looked at his brother and he saw somebody that thought he was better than him, probably. That who he was before, who he was was his performance. And so anything that threatened that, he had to get rid of it, right? And so when Abel comes along and his offering is accepted, the, the only thing he can do is get rid of it. So what does that look like for us? Well, it either means that we're going to be condescending to people. Like if you, if you do feel like you're, you're, uh, you're, you're doing what you're supposed to do, then you're going to be really condescending to the people that you feel like are not, right? Because you're doing the hard work of the Christian life. And they're not. And so you're going to be really condescending to them. Or you're going to look at people that you think are better than you and you're going to have to take them out in some form or fashion. And it might look like talking, you know, talking bad about them behind their back, enjoying, enjoying it when something bad happens to them, something like that. Passing along that little bit of gossip, whatever it might be. Because they're nothing more than competition. Because they threaten your own righteousness. All right, so we see Cain's pride. And now let's take a, take a few minutes to look at God's grace. God's grace. All right, so you might, you might be finding yourself, to some degree, identifying with Cain. And I actually hope you are, right? To some degree, beginning to see yourself in that light. So if so, what do you do with that? Well, here we come to see God's grace, right? Um, and the fundamental difference between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And look, it, it may not jump out at you at first, but his, God's grace is really all through this passage. Um, there's actually even grace in the fact that God did not accept his offering. Right? That might seem like a really harsh thing. But do you see what God's doing? He's forcing Cain to see... This is not how, how you have a relationship with me. I'm not going to do you the disservice of accepting it. I want you to see that you can't come to me in your strength. You can't come to me with, with your life all together and your good stuff. That's not how you and I can relate. And, and, and it's gracious that he says no. That he rejects him. You can't come in your strength. You see, God's not telling Cain, look, no, 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 you messed something up. Go back and figure it out, right? Figure out why yours is better or why his is better. Something about the offering, right? He's not trying to do that. He's trying to get Cain to break. He's trying to get Cain to be honest about himself and to come to, come to him in humility. To come in repentance. In other words, he doesn't, he's not trying to get get Cain to clean himself up a little more. He's trying to get Cain to see he can't clean himself up enough. Ever. He wants him to see that he's got a problem he can't fix. And all he, need, all he can do is come to God with nothing. And that's the one thing Cain doesn't have. It's the one thing Cain, Cain cannot do. Right? Come with empty hands. And there it is, right? What separates the seed of the serpent from the seed of the woman is repentance and faith. Two sides of the same coin, right? We're, we say a lot. Um, 
that one is accepted by God, the one that's accepted by God is the one that looks and says, I can't get my life together. My offering will never be good enough. And he moves toward God in repentance and faith. He goes with empty hands, right? And that really is the posture of the whole kingdom. The posture of the kingdom of the Christian life is not, what, it's not the victorious Christian life that, just to be honest, is kind of all around here. That's not the flavor of the true Christian life. The flavor of the Christian life, biblically, is that of repentance and faith. It's of brokenness. It's of coming to God in your sin. Because you know Him to be a God that accepts people that are broken. I'm going to give you a great, uh, a great illustration. It comes from the Bible um, of what we're talking about. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story, I want you to go home and look it up because you may not believe that it's in there. Matthew 15. Um, this, this Canaanite woman... Can, all right, so that means she's not a Jew. Okay? Canaanite woman has a daughter who um, is demon-possessed. And she wants her to be healed. And she is driving the disciples crazy. Please heal my daughter. Drive this demon out. And they're just tired of this woman. And so they go to Jesus and they honestly ask Jesus to send her away. Like, please tell this woman to leave us alone. And so Jesus talks to her. Or she, you know, she asks Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus says this. Okay, this is in the Bible. This is what Jesus says. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So he calls this woman a dog. And there's no way to like really exegete your way out of that. Like, that was actually a compliment. No. Right? It, it, it is what it sounds like. And her response is this. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's, ta- master's table. And Jesus says, woman, your faith is great. And he heals her. So do you see what happens? Now, Jesus is not being rude to this woman, right? He's not just trying to push her buttons. He's he's testing, he's proving her faith, so keep that in mind. But she basically says, please come and, you know, will you heal my daughter? And he says, I'm really, I'm really only for the, uh, I'm only come to, you know, save the God's people, the Israelites. Um, It would almost be like, you know what, I I just, I, I don't heal trash, Sorry. I mean, you, you hear how offensive that is. But this woman gets it, right? She knows that he's right. And it's like she says, yeah, but even trash gets picked up. She, Jesus says, look, it, you're not good enough. And she says, I, I know I'm not. And, he, and that's the point where he says, that's it, right? That's what the kingdom of God looks like. Right? That's really the front door of Christianity, we could say. And that, we have to, that means that we have to look at all the, all the other good things that we like to do. Right? Things that are good, right? But having good theology and biblical knowledge and the good things that we've done, the bad things that we don't do, and recognize that those don't earn us anything before God. And not only do they not earn us anything before God, we're actually, we should be rejected by God. Like that woman, right? And that we get to repent of those. We get to repent of the bad things that we do, and we should repent of the good things that we do too, right? Because I think that's a huge lesson here, that it very well might be the, 
Right? We tend to think it's the bad thing. All right, so what do I really need to do in the Christian life? I need to quit doing that because that's bad, and I need to quit doing that. Right? Those two things, whatever they are for you. But really what I want you to do tonight is take a look at the stuff that you're proud of. Because even that is far short. Right? And in fact, it might, be, it might be your good stuff that's keeping you from God. It might be the very things that you think are commending yourself to God that are actually in the way of your relationship. Because you're proud of them. I don't know if we have time. This is a great illustration. I'm going to try to tell it fast. Um, heard this story about um, this American life about this uh, girl she worked um, at this company with this other guy that she kind of noticed right and she thought he was you know he's cute and I want to get to know him and so sometimes their shifts would work out and so she made sure that every time you know it was one of those days where their shifts were going to you know cross she would wear her favorite pair and this was a long time ago but her favorite pair of her like acid wash 80s styles jeans with the flap that came up, if you remember those. If you don't, don't worry about Google it. So she made sure every time she saw him that she's going to wear those jeans because she thought, like, that's when she looked her best. And so she worked it just right, you know, and so they meet and they talk, you know, and eventually they, you know, relationship forms and they end up dating and, and got married. And so at some point, I think they were engaged. She's, uh, he's over at her house and they're kind of cleaning out the closet and you know, so she's pulling out the clothes she's going to keep and over here, clothes she's going to throw away over here. And he picks up the acid wash jeans and he's like, you know, probably toss these in a throwaway pile. And she's like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, I mean, I mean, probably time to throw these away, right? And she's like, why would I throw those away? And he's like, because they're horrible. <laughs> like they're the ugliest things I've ever seen. I love you, you know. And so she has to come to the realization, like she begins to realize that the one thing she thought was really working for her was actually the only obstacle he had to overcome. <laughs> like, no kidding, he, you know, he goes, like, I saw this girl, and I'm like, she's, she's attractive, she's really sweet, but what in the world, right? She's wearing these, but she thought that was what was making it work for her, right? Hopefully you get the point. That it can be the, it, it can very often be, especially for like us kind of folks, Baylor kind of people, the things that we're proud of, that we think are working for us, are the very things that are not. They're actually the things that are hindering us. All right, so let me, let's conclude with this. Um, well, yeah, so we get to, we're able to go to God in our weakness. And so the question that we'll end with is, how can we do that? How can God let us come in our weakness? And how can we know that he'll accept us? And what I want you to see is that God's grace continues in this passage, and it continues to continue throughout history. Right? You notice we read verse 25. It tells us that God gave Adam and Eve another child, Seth, to replace Abel. Because obviously Cain is not the hero, and Abel's dead. So God appoints, which is what Seth, the word Seth means, he appoints another child who's the, who is the seed of the woman. And interestingly enough, Seth names his child Enish, which means weakness. And as cool as that is, what you see as you move forward in Luke, Luke's genealogy, Luke 3, you see that it, it, it goes from you know, Adam and Eve to Seth and to Enish and on and on and on and on to Jesus. That through the line of Seth, the one that God appointed, 
comes Jesus. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, another child's born who is the hero. And again, Hebrews tells us something about Cain and Abel and how it relates to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 24 says this, that we can come to Jesus who is, quote, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You remember God said, Abel's blood is crying out, to the, crying out from the ground to me. And it was crying out for justice, right? It's crying out for justice. And Jesus comes along and, and his blood that was spilled on the ground cries out an even better word. It does cry out for justice, but it also cries out, more importantly, for mercy. Because his blood was shed on the ground, right? He comes and he gives himself in your place, in my place. He takes on weakness, our weakness. He takes on our sin and he bears the punishment so that we can come exactly how we are. Not cleaning ourselves up, but we get to come exactly how we are to him. And really it's the only way we can come. So you can come and experience God's grace. And if you need it, he offers it to you for free. And I hope you'll take it. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, forgive us for the ways in which we come to you. We try to come to you in our our righteousness. We try to come dressed up. But Father, we pray that you would break into our hearts to open our eyes to that. To how embarrassing we really are in it. And yet to how gracious you are. That we can come to you drenched in our own sin. That we don't have to clean it. We don't have to wipe it off even a bit. We can't. We get to come to you in the midst of it. And we find a God that accepts us. Because on the cross you rejected your son. Father, we pray that that grace would be true of everyone in this room tonight. If it's not, would you please make it so even now? We ask it in your name. Amen.